Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we're on our final week of our series called The Elephant in the Room. Elephant in the Room is an, is an American idiom coined, we think, sometime in the 40s or 50s. And it describes, as I've been telling you, it describes something that needs to be discussed, something that needs to be brought out into the light. But because it makes us rather uncomfortable, oftentimes we avoid the topic altogether. And the topic that is dreaded most in church, the elephant in the room, is this thing of money. And so we have been cautiously approaching the elephant in the room to see what God has to say to us. Now, just because it might be an uncomfortable conversation doesn't mean it's a conversation that doesn't need to be had. And so uh, we've been looking at, well, what exactly does God desire from us when it comes to our finances? So I've asked that you kind of put your biases aside, maybe clear the mind, and that we will just enter into this as we tackle the elephant in the room and see what God has to speak to us uh, as we uh, face our fears of generosity. So I want to close out this series talking about the emotions of money. Now you may think that money is mainly about finances, but money really is first about emotions. Matter of fact, how you feel about money determines how you manage your money. And how you manage money affects how you feel about money. It is this cycle that we get caught into, and I want to unpack that a little bit. For example, if you believe that money is primarily to make you happy, the emotion of happiness, right? Then it affects how you manage money or how you neglect to manage money because you will be purchasing whatever it is that your eye sees in hopes that it will make you happy. If I feel the emotion of money, that I deserve it, whatever it might be, then, then I will spend what I don't have in order to get me what I think that I deserve. Now, we had a, a rough day before Thanksgiving uh, with some family situations that were going on. And so on Thanksgiving Day, uh, a kind of a little something blew up with some extended family members. And I remember about 9.30 in the morning, I told my wife, I'm going to Walmart and I'm buying the new PS4 game, Call of Duty, if you want to play me online, go ahead. Uh, I told my wife, I'm going to buy the new PS4 game, Call of Duty. And here's what I said, because I deserve it. And she said, you deserve it, go get it. Now, that was a $60 investment, right? It's not, not earth-shattering. But if, if with that mentality, if that's the emotion that surrounds money, that I deserve it, then if spending goes unchecked, we will spend more than we make, and eventually, at some point, we have to pay the piper, which uh, brings up a whole nother set of emotions that often stir around money. For example, how do you feel when there's no money in the account? What does it feel like when there's more month than money? What does it feel like when you have a payment due on the car, but taxes came due as well, and you know that struggle, you know the feeling of panic and worry and that fear? Early on in our marriage, once a month when I would pay the bills and kind of send them out to, to, to be paid, I'd go in my office a good mood, and I'd come out of my office in a horrible mood. Because it was the emotion surrounding money, right? There's always an emotion that is attached to it. What about the emotion of, sh- of shame? Maybe you can't participate in the 
office Christmas exchange, or there's no money for the kid's college, or shame because creditors are calling because of past due bills, or there's always that famous walk of shame when your credit card is declined at the store. I'm sure that's never happened to you, but early on in our marriage, running your debit card was like rolling the dice. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like, hey, it went through. We're happy, right? I was at Walgreens uh, recently, and I pushed in the wrong PIN number for the card, and the lady said a little too loud for my liking, sir, your card's been declined. And there was about six people in line, and I quickly went into a defensive mode because there's emotions surrounding money. And I said, oh, there's plenty of money in that account. I was about ready to pull it up on my phone. There's plenty of money. I was like, that's your fault. And she said, sir, do you want to try it again? And I was like, what I wanted to ask is, you do believe me, right? Because there's emotion that surrounds, that, that surrounds money. When money has not been managed, shame and money, shame and ourselves, shame and myself, we become really close friends. The first check that I ever wrote, check 001. I was 19, opened up a checking account. And I was so proud of myself because I was going to honor God with my money. And so the very first check, for me, it was like this landmark decision of, God, I'm honoring you with the first check that I will ever write in my entire life. I am tithing to you. And so I remember check 001. I wrote it, Church Vineyard North Phoenix, wrote my tithe amount on it. And six days later, the church business manager called. I bounced the check. (laughs) There's some shame associated with money right there. I tell you these things so you know we're in this together, okay? Maybe you never bounced a tithe check. I've had the privilege of, of, of doing that. And so there's shame that can come up. What, what about the emotion of anger? Possibly you're angry at yourself or someone in the family for running up debt or you're angry because of poor financial decisions. How we feel about money determines how we manage money and how we manage money affects how we feel about money. So uh, if you're unsure how you feel about money, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, like us on Facebook, and there's a form on there that will help you, will walk you through your emotions of money and how you view it. And especially if you're married, I suggest you do it because you may have one feeling of money and your spouse may have uh, have another, and you may begin to see why you're constantly butting heads about money because there's an emotion, there's a feeling about money. You may think it's about a paycheck, but it's really about emotions. Anyone score any unbelievable Black Friday deals here? Just kind of slip your hand up. Come on, I know you did. Like, how much did you save? Do you know? Ballpark? How much? Say it louder, I'm old. $200. How did you feel saving $200? It felt pretty good, right? Right? There's emotions about... Anybody get anxious about not Black Friday shopping because you're thinking, I'm missing out on all the good deals? Yes, thank you. So do I. There's emotion surrounding money. What does it feel like when you buy something just to find out that it was $200 cheaper the next week? There's emotions surrounding our finances, right? We have to to understand that. So I want us to dig in a little bit on this thing of money and our emotions, what it looks like, how it kind of controls us. And with the time that we have left, I want us to look at the emotional path to financial bondage. Now, I know it's the month before Christmas. You're like, really? You're spoiling Christmas for me. But maybe it's a good message before Christmas. Average American household puts well over $1,000 on a credit card during the Christmas season, so maybe we can learn something 
and avoid a few headaches in the month to come. Let's pray. So Lord, uh, there's a lot that you teach us about uh, regarding our finances, and uh, we just want to submit ourselves to you and learn from the wisdom that is in Scripture. And so we're inviting your presence, Holy Spirit, to teach us about this thing regarding our finances and ultimately uh, who runs and is in charge of our finances. And as followers of Christ, we want to submit everything to you. And so we come to you now and we're asking that you would begin a transformation process in us, even in regards to the elephant in the room, our finances. And even as we receive an offering for worship, uh, let, it, uh, let it be an expression of worship. Let it not be something that we do begrudgingly, but let it uh, be something that demonstrates that we manage our stuff, our stuff does not manage us, and that we give in, in a way that we could be the hands and feet of Christ locally throughout the world as well, the communities we are involved in, that we might represent the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the path to financial bondage. Most of the times, financial bondage is wrapped around this word called discontentment, where, where we become dissatisfied with my financial or material circumstances. That discontentment will cause us to do all sorts of foolish things with our money. And while discontentment seems like, okay, yeah, that, that, that's good, but it's actually not the starting point. If we're going to look at a path to financial bondage, something comes before discontentment, and it's this. Awareness plus discontentment begins to lead us somewhere. Now, what I'm saying is that this I become aware of something else that's out there that, that's better than what I have, or I become aware of something that you have. And so I'm not satisfied with what I have because I know what I could have or I know what you do have, and so I become discontent. See, I'm content until I become aware that there's something better, there's something newer, uh, there's something improved, a new body style, or there's new features. The commercials make the new product look so good, which makes my product look so bad. See, I I was really happy with my old phone until I saw the commercials for the new phone. And now I have this iPhone with a home button. Who wants an iPhone with a home button? That's so like October 2017, right? The new one, there's no home button. Anybody got a new iPhone 10? Nobody? All those people are on CCV? Nobody has an iPhone? <laughs> God, I love our church. <laughs> so th- this idea that it was good until I became aware, and once I became aware of something better, then, then I became discontent with it. I, I, have you ever been happy with your house until you went into a model home? And then suddenly you're like, our home kind of sucks. Right? Let's be honest, right? Or you're happy with your car until your friend gets a new car and then that smell and all that stuff. And you're like, what's wrong with my car? Because we become aware and awareness leads to being discontent. And that's where things start to happen. Now, if you can control it at this point, you're going to be okay. 
You may become aware and you may be a little discontent and you may see it and you may want it, but if you can control the emotions at this point, you're going to be okay. But if, if you allow your emotions to run you, it's going to take you to step three of our path to financial bondage, which is awareness plus discontentment plus greed. Let's define greed. Greed is the assumption that your resources, my resources, are for your consumption. The assumption that your resources are for your consumption. Now, I know in America, even saying that, it sounds so sacrilegious. Because we're thinking, well, why wouldn't my resources be for my consumption? Everything I make should be for me. That's the American way. And yet, when we become followers of Christ, something is supposed to begin to change to where it's no longer all about us. Meaning, the Lord of our lives, right? That's what it means to be a Christ follower. says, all right, now that you're following me, you're not leading, and I want to have a say even in how you manage your money. And so if you believe that all of your resources are primarily for your own consumption, then by definition, we are greedy. And if, if we live with this assumption that everything acquires for me, Jesus really says, I kind of have an issue with that. See, here's the thing about greed, if you haven't figured it out yet. Greed is an appetite that will never be satisfied. It will never be satisfied. I want you to think of greed like your appetite for food. And I don't care how good your Thanksgiving meal was. I don't care how much you stuffed yourself and you may have sat at the table for an hour and a half and you just started force-feeding yourself. Any pants unbuttoners here? At the, the, don't raise your hand. That's just weird. Do us a favor and just wear sweatpants to the table. All right, it's better. Right? Doesn't matter how much you ate or how much you stuffed yourself or how satisfied you were. One thing that I can guarantee, in a few hours, you were looking for leftovers. Because an appetite is never satisfied. And eventually, whatever it is that you do to feed that appetite, eventually you're going to want more of it. Because an appetite, ultimately, it's never satisfied. And here's where an appetite that is never satisfied leads. Awareness leads to discontentment plus greed equals debt. And this is the path to financial bondage. And this is where most Americans live today. And if you're honest with yourself, and if I'm honest with myself, most of the debt that choked me went through that path. I became aware of something that I wanted, and I became discontent because I didn't have it. And my greed told me that I deserve it. And so I figured out a way that I could buy it, but I didn't figure out a way that I can pay for it. Awareness plus discontentment plus greed equals debt. Appetites, listen please, appetites that go unchecked will almost always lead to some sort of bondage. I don't know what your appetite is, but an appetite that goes unchecked will almost always lead to some sort of bondage because that appetite will never be satisfied and it will lead us further and further down a path of destruction looking for something that will quench that thirst and it will not be quenched. And we all have stories 
how an appetite led us down a road that we never intended to be. Because an appetite that goes unchecked will almost always lead us to some sort of bondage. Genesis 25, it tells us the story of Jacob and Esau, two sons of Abraham. And Esau was the oldest, and he was a hunter, he was a manly man, and Jacob, he was kind of a mama's boy, he was the younger uh, of the two. And uh, Esau went out for a hunt, and when Esau came back, his brother Jacob was uh, making stew. Probably Dintimor, nothing fancy. And he's making stew. And Esau, that was a joke. Esau was hungry and he said, uh, Jacob, give me some stew. I'm starving. And his younger brother said, I don't think it's a good idea. And the older brother Esau said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm famished. My appetite is so big. I'm going to die. I'm going to starve to death if you don't feed me. And this put Jacob in an unusual position for a younger sibling. He was now in the position of power. And so Jacob said, if your appetite is that strong, here's what, here's what you can do. Sell me your birthright. In other words, sell me the rights that come along with being firstborn, which, you know, you got a larger cut of the inheritance. You were actually in on making family decisions that would affect the history of the family. There was some weight that came with being the firstborn. And Jacob said, Esau, if your appetite is that strong, and if it's going to go unchecked, then sell me your birthright. And Esau sold him his birthright. Now looking back, we would say, who would sell something like that for something so trivial? The person who has an appetite that has gone unchecked. And we, in some way, have our own stories of how we traded something for an appetite that went unchecked and we traded it for something that was trivial because that appetite ran away with us. Now, Esau sells his birthright, this future blessing, for a bowl of Dintimor stew. What does your appetite require of you? What is your appetite requiring of you? Your appetite, maybe, maybe it's for more of whatever that more might be. What is it asking of you? And how much are you willing to sacrifice thinking that one day you will satisfy it? And what are you forfeiting because of that appetite? Esau didn't know what his appetite would cost him. See, generations later, God raised up a man by the name of Moses, who was the the deliverer of uh, the Israelite people who were under bondage of Egypt. And when God went to Moses to raise up this leader and said, Moses, I have a job for you. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Say, let my people go. And Moses said, "Who, who are you? And God introduced himself by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You almost wish that you could step in at the moment and say, Esau, I know you have an appetite that's running away from you right now, but you don't realize what you're about to forfeit. Because generations later, God's going to introduce himself, and your name is supposed to be plugged in there, but you're about to give it up because your appetite will run away with you. And generations upon generations upon generations later, there's this guy named Matthew who's going to be writing about the genealogies of Jesus, and he's going to introduce us to Jesus by saying, "Eh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think really close, think very carefully about what you're about to do, Esau. Because an appetite that goes unchecked will always lead us to some sort of bondage. So what is your appetite? 
in relationship to our finances, that appetite of greed, it will always lead us to debt. And it's not a, it's not a feel-good sermon. I get it, right? Some of us are like, oh, I feel so, you know, I, I feel the weight. I get it. But that's been our path because emotions have ran our finances. And an appetite that goes unchecked will lead to some sort of bondage. And we can't say that Jesus didn't warn us. Matthew 6, Jesus said, hey, listen, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he drops this little phrase at the end, for you cannot serve God and money. It's like Jesus is warning us, saying, listen, listen. If you're not careful, your appetite for more and for newer and for bigger and, 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 and for better, it will master you. It will cause you to do things that you normally would not do. And that appetite, seeking to be quenched, seeking to be, seeking to be satisfied, will lead you down a road whose end is going to choke the life that you seek will choke that life right out of you. Your appetite for more will cause you to make financial decisions that will one day choke you with debt. And Jesus says, the moment that your appetite makes you do something that you'd later regret is the moment your appetite becomes your master. And every time my appetite for more caused me to purchase something that I really shouldn't have purchased, my appetite mastered me. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. So who's going to be in charge? And not only did it master me once, but every month when I wrote that check that I really couldn't afford, it mastered me again. And Jesus is brilliant here. He says, look, I'm warning you because as your creator, I get it. This is going to be something you're going to deal with your entire life. You're going to become aware. You're going to be discontent. You're going to want more. And I'm telling you, learn to manage the emotion now because if you don't, it will manage you. And that is our path. Andy Stanley said something once that is kind of life-changing in our financial situation. He said this. We'll put it up on the screen. He said, I want is better than I owe. So listen, if you're in that stage right now of saying, I want it, hey, that's that's an okay place to be. I want is better than I owe. Think about that for a second. I want, there's tension with I want, right? There's the tension that should I buy it? How can I buy it? God, do you want me to buy it? I can't stop thinking about it. I see it everywhere. I I want it. I want it. I get it. But then he says, but there's there's a tension that far exceeds that tension. And he says, here's the tension that's worse. Better to want but can't buy than to owe but can't pay. He's like, if you're in the tension of you already bought it but now you can't pay for it, that is a difficult tension. I want but can't buy, that's frustrating. I bought but can't pay, that's life-changing. And most of us have been in that I bought but can't pay situation. We've been there. And you know all of the pressure and all of the sleepless nights and everything that comes with it. And Jesus says, hey, I'm, going to warn, I'm trying to teach you something here because I know you. 
this is going to be a perpetual, ongoing problem that you have to master now. So ask yourself this as we get ready to close. Did the emotions that came with purchasing something new last? Remember when you got your new phone and how excited you were about your, your new phone? A year later, are you still excited about that phone? No. Remember how excited you were about that new car and you drove it even places you didn't need to go because you wanted everybody to see you in that new car? Three years later, are you just, mm, I love this car. No. You're looking at your car thinking, am I upside down in this car or can I trade it in? Because the emotions don't last and we know they don't last. Has greed, consuming everything for yourself, led to a rich and satisfying life and made life for others better? The answer is no to that. Has your appetite for more ever been satisfied? Chances are your appetite for more has never been satisfied unless you've conquered your emotions tied to money. What about this one? Has going into debt to feed that appetite improved your quality of life? Is anybody just like praising Jesus when the credit card bill comes every month? Like, oh, thank God, the credit card. Mm, Jesus, this is good. Right? It's always the opposite. We know how it feels. We hate it when we see the credit card bill. Every time we open it up, we're like, really? I thought I paid it down more than that. And yet, our emotions lead us And it continues to put us back in the same situation over and over and over again because we think one day it's going to satisfy that appetite. And Jesus said, you're stuck in this and you won't break free on your own. Last week I told you the word that we typically associate with money is that word of more. A little more money would make me happy. More money would solve most of my problems. It's always more. But more has left an American uh, uh, financial situation, American families financially, has left us bankrupt. And so maybe the word that we associate with money shouldn't be more, but it needs to be manage. And maybe the key is, is that we no longer should be the CFO of our money. And maybe we need to name a new CFO, a chief financial officer, and that's what Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me, then how about you allow me to be the chief financial officer, and how about we start to deal with the emotions that have ran you astray, and how about we start to get these things under control? Which leads us to the question we close with. Who's managing your money? If your emotions are running your money, hey, I've been there with you. And I know where it leads. And I know the sleep that is lost and the problems it causes in marriages. I know what it is like. Whoever controls your money, Jesus says, ultimately controls your heart. Matthew 6, we'll close with this. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He tells us something that our treasure and our heart, this was on week one, our treasure and our heart is inextricably connected that the two are inseparable that wherever your heart goes your treasure will go with it and wherever your treasure goes jesus says look around because your heart is right next to it so jesus says you can't claim to have your heart in the kingdom but your treasure isn't invested in the kingdom 
And if you claim your heart is here, but your treasure is being invested over here, you're consuming it on your own, Jesus says, guess where your heart is? Wherever your treasure is being planted, Jesus says, that's where your heart is. So he says, you want to know, you want to know an easy test to, to see who the CFO is of your finances? Look where your treasure is being invested. Look, we're on the brink of a new year, 2018. Let's make 2018 the year that emotions do not run our finances. Let's decide that we're going to manage our stuff and not our stuff manage us. And maybe for you that begins by getting a new CFO that says, how about you let me start to lead this? Now, one of the tools that I want to place in your hands is sometime in February, we're going to run a new Financial Peace University. We just got done finishing one of those. Four families went through it. Uh, Josh Gromer, are you here? So Josh uh, and his wife, Alicia, lead that. We just had nine fa- or four families that went through it, uh, and they paid off something like 40 grand in nine weeks and put eight grand into savings. Now, look. It's going to cost you $100 for that. That doesn't come to us. That goes to financial peace. We don't make any money on that. But I'm telling you in advance, so you can start putting $15, $20 aside so that you can invest in 2018 to begin to learn how emotions won't lead you. Now think of this. This should be a little freeing for you. Think of yourself a year from now, two years from now, where you're no longer wrapped and being choked with debt. That should be somewhat hopeful to you. But it's not going to happen on accident. And so what I'm trying to place before you, Financial Peace University, we're going to advertise it. You're going to have plenty enough time on it. Yes, you're going to have to carve nine weeks out of your life to do it, but it just might be the best nine weeks that you'll spend on yourself and on your family. All right. Sorry to spoil Christmas spending for you. But maybe I'm not tired of spoiling Christmas spending for you. Stand with me. You've made it through the elephant in the room. Next week we'll start with a uh, happy, joyous Advent series leading us into Christmas. Uh, you can invite your friends again now that we're out of the money series. Uh, I, will want, I do want you to know I worked really hard to try to present this to you in a way that isn't your typical strong-armed, guilty pastor coming at you. So... Whether or not uh, you feel we accomplished that, you know, I hope, but um, I never want to take our time for granted. I always want to present something to you that is hopefully insightful and God-inspired and uh, will move us closer to the cross. So let's pray. All right, so God, now we have some decisions on what does our future look like and what our steps should be. And for some of us, that step needs to just be a really a step of repentance, of saying, yeah, I've been greedy. I've consumed it all for myself. And by doing so, I've squeezed you out. The beauty of repentance is that forgiveness is always nearby. And for some of us, maybe it's an appetite that has nothing to do with finances, but maybe there's an appetite in your life that is ruining you. And it has placed you on a path that is leading you to destruction. And the word of God to you today is that forgiveness is near. 
And it may mean doing something radical of not just confessing, but maybe confessing to another person or getting somebody around you that is going to help rally you to beat this thing. But an appetite that has gone unchecked will lead us to destruction. Regardless of where we find ourselves today, I pray that we would just submit ourselves to you. God, I've I've been following you for 35 years. And I have never once regretted when I have submitted myself to you. I have loads of regrets when I've taken it back. But there are no regrets when you led and I followed. I just pray that for our church body. I pray that there would be some anticipation and some hope in us today of the chances of changing around our finances and bringing some freedom. Let us begin to make plans for this Financial Peace University course. I pray that you would have your way with us in every area of life, not just with finances. I pray this month that we would have great anticipation leading us into the birth of Christ, that we would take time to detach and unplug and unwind and spend time with family and friends and quiet moments of contemplation and laughter. Position us for blessing as we submit ourselves to you. And we're asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I think you're fantastic. I look forward to seeing you next week. We'll start a new series. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you. Or if you'd like prayer, we'll have some people down here who would pray for you. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. Fields we